I am a woman trapped in a man's body that you will hear from time to time. This book, which I highly recommend, is uh, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self by Carl Truman. It, there are three, I put, about a year ago, I put three copies in the bookstore, and they've been selling like hotcakes. There are still, of the three, three copies left. Um, I, and I keep talking about it, but nobody seems to bite. But we do give them to you at our cost there. I want to read a little uh, paragraph where he begins the book. Um, He says, the origins of this book lie in my curiosity about how and why a particular statement has come to be regarded as coherent and meaningful. I am a woman trapped in a man's body. My grandfather died in 94, less than 30 years ago, and yet, had he ever heard that sentence uttered in his presence, I have little doubt that he would have burst out laughing and considered it a piece of incoherent gibberish. Well, what he goes on to do in the book is he, he tries to, it's not about transgenderism or anything like that, that's not the, the point of the book, but it's about how we came to think of ourselves the way we think of ourselves today. And he goes all the way back to the Renaissance, the Enlightenment, and he works his way up to the present, and he shows how just the modern concepts of self came to be. Because out of the modern concept of self come all manner of things, including transgenderism and, and, and other ideas. Where we are today in terms of the self is that, that we believe that each of us is like an island unto himself or herself or themselves, <laughs> whatever the case may be, right? Uh, that, we, that, that, that the person can just take of this world of the ether and, 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 and particles of the universe and then reformulate that to something brand new and entirely different from everything else. We don't see ourselves as connected as previous generations did to a particular culture. You know, you were, you know, under in feudal Europe, you were born in a village and you knew if your dad was a tinker that you would be a tinker and you knew who the lord of the, the lord of the manor was and all of that stuff and everything was a given and society, the world apart from you told you who you were. Now we've flipped to the exact opposite extreme where, where we have to sort out what we are. And the problem with that, it should seem obvious, I think, but one of the problems with that is if the world, out of an infinite array of possibilities, uh, is just you know, the, the fodder out of which you create yourself, then, then, then that, is, that, that is a tyranny. That is, that's a tyranny of possibilities. The Germans, they, they use a term, they call it die Qual der Wahl, which is the, the torment of choice. Think of a kid in a candy store given a quarter and told them, you can buy anything you want, but there's a million choices of candy in front of them. Right? That's the torture of choice. And that's kind of where I think the world is today. The world doesn't define you anymore. Your culture doesn't define you. If, if you in your heart think you want to be a different species, then who am I to tell you that you can't be a polar bear or whatever the case might be because we, we've come to think of life this way and there is a tyranny in that. Archimedes said, give me a place to stand and a lever long enough and I will move the world. The problem for people today is there's no place to stand. 
if, if anything can be, if everything can be, and if nothing has been predetermined or decided for me, then literally I have no place to stand. There is no solid ground. There is no, there's no thread or the, the, no universals. And, and I'm, I'm just at loss, at a loss. In contrast to that confusion, we as believers are, are much, much Better off. We're not condemned to some vain, endless search in an ocean of complexity. Our identity our, of self, our true self, is rooted and established in Christ. In Christ. We're not searching all over the world to find ourselves. Are we each unique? Sure. Are we all like little snowflakes? Each one perfectly Yes, 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 blah, 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 blah. We've all heard that. That's true as far as that goes. But we, but we dare not miss that, that firm foundation which is ours in Christ. So we begin our sermon series on Colossians. Paul is writing. Guess where we think he's writing from? And I didn't do the, yeah, he's writing from jail. He's writing, yeah, from the Huskow. He's in the pokey. Um, He's actually in Rome, you know, under that house arrest where we left him in the book of Acts. If you say, ha, I see what you did there, Jay. Nah, it's just, it's just kind of accidental that it worked out that way. But uh, anyway, so Paul is writing the Colossians having never been to Colossae. Never, never. As far as we know, I mean, there's no recorded instance of it on his missionary journeys. He never stops there. He's writing to them. Uh, there, he mentions a guy named uh, Epaphras who was from Colossae. He probably... Uh, left uh, Paul in Ephesus, maybe, and during that time when Paul was in Ephesus and went back and, and evangelized Colossae. At least that's kind of putting the pieces together. But, uh, but yeah, Paul is speaking into that situation at Colossae because there is a false teaching that has come up and started to take people captive. And we'll get into that. We'll talk about the substance of that as best we can. We can't completely reconstruct it. We don't know with 100% certainty what we're dealing with. We can just look at pieces. But what is very clear, I'll tell you that right up front, is it was in danger of derailing them away from Christ. It was taking them away from Christ, their identity, Christ, their substance, Christ, their, their, their true self. And that's what Paul is interested in correcting. He wants them to see that they are built upon the foundation of Christ. It is him. It is being in him that will define them. So, uh, so let's begin with the first two verses. Usually a greeting like this. I don't know if you were paying attention to the greeting, but it, did it sound like almost every other greeting in the New Testament that you've ever read? It's okay if you say yes, right? Yeah, looks like, it looks like a lot of them, but weirdly... As I kind of started to dig in and think about this, I think I see almost the whole trajectory of the book of Colossians in these two verses. And I'll show you what I mean. Uh, Here's the big idea today. Find your true self in Christ. And when I say find, I mean, yeah, hunt it down, figure it out. You are, your true self as a Christian is in Christ. That's not in doubt, but, but dig deep into understanding that. Let let your life as you grow in Christ be more and more defined by a search for an understanding of that, for a grasp of that. Really get a hold of it. That's kind of what I'm trying to say to you today. And get away from TikTok or MSN or Fox News or Hollywood or whatever, whatever it is that you're listening to that you're letting kind of define yourself. Start with Christ. Start there. Work out from there. But that has to be laid in. 
So you get the, you get the point? See where we're going with that? Okay, let's look at the first verse. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So, in a very handy way, Paul starts out by identifying himself. Yeah, Paul knew himself. He knew who he was. He is unapologetically self-aware. It's not something he fashioned on his own. Paul had been a Pharisee. Paul had been a persecutor of the church. But he didn't wake up one day and go, you know what? I just feel inwardly like I'm not quite who I am. And I don't think I'm really a Pharisee. I think I want to identify as an apostle of Jesus Christ. It didn't happen that way. It didn't didn't happen inside out from Paul's interior. Paul was called. Paul was called to serve. This is the first stepping stone. I'm going to refer to these as stepping stones. So if you picture that complexity of the modern world and self as sort of a bog, a mire, you know, these are solid stones that we can step on getting to our identity in Christ. So here's the first stepping stone. We are servants of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Okay, In Christ, as you understand yourself, the first thing you need to get is you are a servant of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus. We all know the story. Well, maybe not everyone does, but we covered that when we were in the book of Acts quite, quite frequently. Jesus appears to him. He's knocked to the ground. He ends up being blinded by the whole experience. And in that experience, all arguments and resistance to Jesus were completely set aside. Paul was going his own way. Jesus stops him from that moment forward. It becomes Jesus in Paul's life. It becomes, what does Jesus want? He becomes Lord. Paul becomes his servant. All all things after that flow out of that self-awareness, that self-understanding that he is called by the the Lord to serve him. Paul's self-understanding is that he belongs to Jesus. Um, As an apostle, which we aren't, but it's a unique kind of servant position, it gave him the authority to write this letter to the Colossians. Yes? Makes sense? Like, somebody had to do it. Paul had the authority as an apostle. He felt some obligation there. He had a duty to do what he could for the church. So it, it is out of, that, that, out of that, that need to serve the church as a servant of Christ that he writes this letter. There are not endless possibilities for Paul. He couldn't ignore that. He couldn't ignore that problem. He had to deal with it because Paul knows who he is. He's not still inventing himself. He's not awash in a sea of endless millions of of things. He, He is a servant of Jesus Christ. And there's a problem at Colossae and he needs to address it. You know, we're so steeped in the concept of self-determination and so-called free will that we chafe at the idea of this. Don't, do we not? I mean, it's, this has been a long time developing. I would point you to that book, you should read it, of how we got where we are as a culture. But we don't like anyone to tell us that we can't be anything we want to be. And we see this with Paul. And some people are downright offended. It's like, how dare Jesus just come along and, you know, boom, knock Paul to the ground and, and just tell him this is what you're going to do. Didn't Paul have choice? Couldn't Paul have done something else? Mm, not really. (laughs) 
He had tried that, had he not? He had been going his own way, doing his own thing, seeing it the way he saw it. And, uh, and Jesus stopped him, arrested him right there on that road. And he said something interesting to Paul, which you will recall from our time in the book of Acts. Do you remember it? It is hard for you to kick against the goads, to kick against the goads. Goads were sharp sticks and they were mounted there on the, on the plow or the, the implement. And uh, if the oxen that were drawing that uh, along decided in their own self-will to go somewhere else, guess what happened? Yeah, they got a, they got a stick in their flank. Let's just put it that way. They got a sharp stick where they didn't want a sharp stick. And so they turned back and went the way they were supposed to be going. Paul understands himself in that role. Now, you and I are not apostles, but we've trusted in Jesus. And when you trust in Jesus, you know, it's, it's very common to talk about you know, accepting Jesus as your Savior, which I, that's not my favorite way of, of phrasing it. But when you receive Jesus, you don't just receive him as Savior, you receive him as Lord. The minute you turn in faith to Jesus Christ, you are no longer your own. You have been bought with a price. You belong to Jesus. Your life now, whatever else is true of you, a doctor, lawyer, Indian chief, as they used to say, whatever that way is, you are in Christ. You are a servant of the Lord Jesus, and you are here to do his work and his will at his good pleasure. Paul's going to drill this into the Colossians throughout the book that they have to see their foundation in nothing else but Jesus Christ. And he starts by essentially saying, hey, before I go anywhere, this is who I am. I understand who I am. I'm not holding myself up on a pedestal and saying I'm so great. I'm just saying I'm Paul. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Not by my will. I didn't choose it. He chose it. I belong to him. And so is every single person who names Jesus as Lord. Got it? First stepping stone of building your full sense of who yourself really is is to understand you're a servant of Jesus Christ. Second stone, we are brothers in Christ. Now, I want you to see this. Um, I think you would take my word for it if I just said it was so, but I want to show it to you so that you see how almost redundant it is here in the text. Paul says, he identifies himself, then he mentions Timothy. Somehow Timothy is with him in the greeting. Doesn't go into any great detail on that. What we think about Timothy is that Timothy is probably Paul's secretary. And if you want a big word, there's a big technical theological term for what they did. This is called an amanuensis. Amanuensis. How many never want to commit that to memory and you'll just go on from here without it? Okay, I figured that. Just read secretary in your mind. Timothy is probably the one actually writing down what Paul is saying. Paul says, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now we'll come back to the saints part in just a little bit, but let me hammer home this part about brothers. Paul mentions Timothy, our brother. And then he addresses the brothers who are at Colossae. Now how many brothers are we dealing with here now? So we got Timothy. Paul doesn't say your brother. He says, our brother. So that makes Paul not just an apostle, but it makes Paul a brother. So Paul's a brother. 
Timothy's a brother. Who else are brothers? All of the people at Colossae. They're all brothers in Christ. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you are said to be, among other things, you are in Christ. And that's one of the richest expressions in the New Testament. Also one of the most mysterious ones. Like trying to dig it out, you can kind of, you feel like you're defining it and then it kind of eludes you a little bit. And we're going to work a lot on that in, throughout the book of Colossians. But when it says you are in Christ, it means that everything in one sense that applies to Christ in some way has an analogy in your life. So, Jesus is the Son of God. You are in Christ. You are, dare we say it? Yes, we dare. You are a Son of God in Christ. Through Him, you are a child of God. God is our Father. Paul will say that. And therefore, because you're in Christ with others who are in Christ, we are brothers one with another. Think of all the implications of that. If that be true, if you're in Christ and I'm in Christ and she's in Christ, then we are related now. We're not not waiting to become. We're not pretending. Like, what is church? Oh, it's a place you go and you act like you're brothers and sisters, but you're really not. No. No. Fundamentally, spiritually, If you belong to Jesus and I belong to Jesus, we are siblings. We belong to the exact same family. So what does maturity look like within the church? We're supposed to be built up toward maturity. Now that's the book of Ephesians. But trust me, Paul's very very concerned, we'll see this, in the book of Colossians with getting to maturity. Maturity is ultimately coming into the full possession and understanding and development of what we are already in Christ. And if that's brothers and sisters in Christ, then what should the church look like? There's there's maturity. How how do we want to develop? What kind of a church do we want to be? It has to include that, doesn't it? That we are brothers. So we're two stepping stones in your self-understanding of who you are. One, you're servant of Christ. Two, you're a brother or a sister in the Lord, unless you're not in the Lord, unless you're here and you're, and you're just listening, but you're not yet a believer. If you're a believer, this is who you are. The third stepping stone. We are holy ones, holy ones in Christ. He says, to the saints and faithful brothers at Colossae. Now, you've heard this before. Saints has been inflated a lot through the years of Christendom, and and saints kind of took on and became this idea of super-Christians, people that had lived meritorious lives, and they had so much merit in Christ because of their their own spirituality that eventually they had a storehouse of the merits of saints. So they, they had more, in other words, they were holier than they needed to be so they could leave a little for the rest of us in kind of a storehouse. Um, that's, not, that's, not, that's not, whatever else it is, that's not a biblical concept. Because throughout the New Testament, saints is exclusively used for ordinary, everyday Christians. Even the misguided, infantile Christians at Colossae are saints. They are holy. Why? They're in Christ. Exactly, they are in Christ. And we said that, you know, that, that everything that applies to Christ in some way has an analogy for a believer who's in Christ. Christ is holy. 
Christ was holy. He was set apart. He is holy. He is set apart unto God. So if you're in Christ, that's who you are too. You have his holiness, not just attributed to you, but as a life within you. It's that branch and the, and the vine illustration. Paul is saying right off from the outset that you are saints in Christ. The false teachers are telling you something else. And we'll get to that. But more or less what the false teachers were saying was if you keep these, these days, these feast days, and you do these things, and you keep these rules, and you keep your nose clean, and you do how we tell you to do it, then you'll be holy. And Paul basically says right out of the box, you are saints in Christ. You are holy in him. We don't try to live holy lives as sinners. That's not quite how it is. Are we wretched sinners? Yes. Yes, we are wretched sinners from one one angle. But we are connected to Jesus Christ. We are like branches in the vine. And as we are connected in union with Christ, his holiness is is our holiness. We are to put on Christ, the new self. We are to take that on. Sanctification is not bringing something foreign to who you are into your life. You've already taken something foreign to you into your life. You've taken in Christ, and that's no longer foreign now. That's, right? The body recognizes that now as its true self. And so maturity and sanctification is not making a silk purse out of a sow's ear. How many grew up saying that, by the way? I say some of these things sometimes, and anyone under 40 ever say that ever in a sentence? Ever knew? Okay, that's what we used to say, boys and girls. Well, he's trying to make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. Um, and I think you can figure out what that means, but we're not. We're not trying to take something that we're not and turn it into something or something we are and turn it into something we're not. What, what if the expression was you're trying, to, you're trying to turn a maybe dirty, soiled, slightly misshapen silk purse into a silk purse? That, that's more like what's happening because we're in Christ. We are holy. We are saints in him. Okay, so far what you got? We had three stepping stones out into the bog and the mire of the modern world. First of all, we are servants in Christ. Second of all, we're brothers in Christ. Thirdly, we are holy in Christ. Now we see we are faithful in Christ. We are faithful to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Now, what do you hear when I say faithful? What do you think of as the word faithful? I'll let, I, I heard several things. Uh, yeah, faithful. When you think about a marriage, what if a person is faithful in marriage? What does that mean? It means that they're true to what they've said. They're, 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 they cleave only unto their spouse and not another and so on and so forth. They keep their commitments. If a soldier is faithful, what do we mean? We mean he stays with his unit. He ta- follows orders. He goes into battle. He doesn't, he doesn't turn around and retreat except unless he's ordered to, and, uh, and, he, and he stays with it. He doesn't go AWOL. He doesn't join the enemy. That's, that's faithful. We're staying committed. That's one use. That's one understanding, and that's true. That's certainly in this word. But also in this word is the idea of believing. 
So it is one who continues to believe. It is one who perseveres in faith. Who are you, Christian? Who are you? You are a believer in Jesus Christ. You're in Christ. You're a believer in Jesus Christ. You've trusted him. He is Lord. You follow him. You don't give up. You persevere. You keep holding to faith all the way until the end. And how do you do that? Sheer guts and determination. No, I'm kidding. That's not. No, it flows out of Christ himself. It is in union with Christ that the power to persevere is given to us. Also, by the way, remember what Paul said in verse 1, that he was an apostle according to the will of God. I think you have to read that into verse 2 somewhat. So in union with Christ and by the will of God, we are saints and faithful brothers in Christ. It's, the power flows from him. Have you ever worried that you might fall away? Any, just a show of hands, if you've ever worried that at some point in the future you might fall away from Christ. None of you? Seriously? A few of you. Okay. I thought everybody, in the beginning, yes, in the beginning. When I was a very young Christian, and I came to, I came to faith in, in a very weird, awkward way at a very young age, and, um, and I would read my Bible, and I didn't have anybody I was studying it with, and I, and I would read some of the really hard things about people falling away, and I would get worried. And I remember praying, I've shared this before, some of you that have been around for a while know that, I'll, that I've said this before, but I thought, well... I would rather die and go to heaven now than live a long life and betray Jesus later. So not understanding the nature of these things, I literally prayed to God, God, just kill me now. Because I understood that he knew the future. I didn't understand his sovereignty, but I knew he knew the future. I said, if you see that I'm going to turn away from you when I reach the ripe old age of 25, then just Kill me now. Take my life. I'm, don't let me wake up in the morning. Take me home to heaven now. I lit- and I literally meant it, but I didn't understand. The strength is, isn't from us. It's not us clinging for dear life. It is union with his son. Think again. Who is Jesus? The faithful son. The one who came to do the will of the father. Who didn't turn aside. Who saw it through even through to the garden and that prayer and and the cup that he would have had passed from him if he could have had his way. But he takes the Lord's way, his Father's way, and he goes to the cross. Faithfully, he bears the burden of our sins. He dies, and God vindicates him and raises him from the dead. And you and I are in Christ. And that perseverance will be because he dwells in us and we dwell in him. Servants, brothers... Holy, faithful. And we are in this place. We are in this place in Christ. It's interesting if you look at this, uh, this, this little phrase here. Brothers in Christ at Colossae. Now that's a fine translation and, and I am not a translator. And so I would never think that I knew more Greek or could better understand how to translate. But I will tell you this little secret here. The word in, I'm going to teach you a little Greek vocabulary. Are you ready? Everybody want to learn some Greek? Yes. Leave a Greek scholar today. Okay. There is, a, there is this really difficult two-letter word in Greek. And say it with me. And, okay. Believe it or not, in English, that means in. <laughs> 
You're a Greek scholar. How about that? So the, the, the interesting thing here is, though it's translated brothers in Christ at Colossae, it actually says, it, it, in its most literal translation, would come out brothers in Christ in Colossae. Now, that may or may not mean a whole lot, but some commentators, Beale, the, the guy that I'm particularly looking at right now as a, as a good authority on these things, he talks about the fact that there's a weird balance here, a, a weird pairing, a mirroring that we are in Christ in Colossae. Almost like they're just the same kind of thing. Isn't that interesting? Think of it this way. We live in two zip codes. Now, I don't mean to offend you. That's not because you're terribly, terribly large, all right, or that you need two seats at the, on the airplane. I'm saying we live in two zip codes. We live in the zip code of being in Christ, in heaven, with him, but at the same time, we're living right where we're living. We're living in Great Bend. These two things overlap, but they do not contradict we could simply look at this as a kind of weird, spooky, almost, uh, I don't know, sort of quantum physics kind of sounding thing. You know, like spooky, what is it, spooky something at distance, I don't know. There's some weird things in that. You, know, you could go, how can that be? It's impossible. How could we be both in heaven and on earth? It's Avatar, right? I guess nobody saw the movie Avatar. Uh, Watch it. Some it's not. It's not really that good. Anyway, uh, but this is not Avatar because we aren't like uh, just an, a body being inhabited by a person at some other distance. We are fully mind, body, and soul living right here in terra firma. You know, on terra firma. But at the same time, in some sense, and you and if you think I'm stretching this, wait till we get to chapter three and you see it there for yourself. We are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Christ is seated at the right hand of God. You know where we are. We're at the right hand of God. You know, I don't feel like I'm a... But in one sense, we are. Now, admittedly, there's a now and a not yet that's kind of going on there. But at the same time, there's something really and truly interesting in this. We, we have a dwelling in heaven not made with hands, and yet we're rooted on 17th Street, or we're on Broadway, or Aspen, or some other, you name a street here in Great Bend, or wherever it is you live, Larned, or someplace like that. And, and both of those things are true. It's like a Venn diagram. You know what a Venn diagram is? Yes, you see the two circles, and they overlap, and it's like, poof, that's where you are. We're in that little spot, right, between where they overlap. And you say, well, how do I apply that? Well, I don't know entirely how you apply it, except... You have to start living with that sense of self and identity and start asking yourself the question, if Jesus has this overlap here in Great Bend, on Broadway Street, wherever you might be, what would that look like? What should that look like? I don't even want to try to provide the answer for you. I'm just providing the question and the thought process and the identity. If that be true, if there is this place where heaven and earth come together in this overlapping diagram because you are in Christ in Great Bend, then what does that suggest about what that place ought to look like? Christ is reigning there. Christ is Lord there. That's true of you individually, wherever you are. It's also true of us so we could, we could draw the Venn diagram where it's 210 McKinley. Yeah? And then it's, and then it's Christ. 
What does that look like? What should our fellowship look like? Well, that's the calculus, okay? That's the calculus we should apply as we understand these things. So we're servants, we're brothers, we're holy, we're faithful. We are in this place in Christ. Sixth and final stepping stone. We are connected to God in Christ. Verse 2 ends with this benediction. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. And you'll notice there's that word, our, our Father. Paul is speaking to family. He's speaking to those who are brothers in Christ. And because they're in Christ, he is confident, no matter how screwed up they've gotten, and they're a little messed up, that's the whole reason he's writing this, but despite that, he is confident they're in Christ, and therefore being in Christ, they are inheritors of the blessings that come in Christ. And what are those blessings? It's grace and peace. If you're apart from Christ, if you don't belong to Christ, these things are not givens. The person without Christ is going to stand before holy God based on their own merit, their own good works, and that won't be sufficient. But Paul can say, grace and peace to you who are in Christ. You've already experienced that. It's yours in Christ. You are connected to God. God's favor, his grace rests upon you. His peace, reconciliation with him. That peace that's been accomplished, that is yours in Christ. Now I could say it, uh, you know, I could take years trying to say what I'm saying, but if you look at Romans 5, it's, it's like a commentary of this verse. If you want to, it just expands. But you'll see all the elements here. Romans 5, 5, 1 and 2. Look for them, see if you can pick them out the things we've talked about. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The joy and confidence that we have of this benediction that Paul uses in the greeting here in Colossians, the the confidence that we have is because by faith we are in Christ, and in Christ all of God's promises are yes and amen. In Christ dwells all the riches of and the glory and the treasures of the Godhead. They are ours because we're in Him. We know we have peace with God. Christian, are you in doubt? Do you feel like God is against you? God is warring against you? Or you are warring against him? No, you've been given peace with God through Jesus Christ. His favor, his grace rests upon you. All of that connection to God that we need is in that relationship with Jesus Christ. We're servants, we're brothers, we're holy, we're faithful, we're in the place we're in, we're connected to God because we are in Jesus Christ through faith in him. He has come to dwell in us and we in him. That's where your self-definition comes from. We no longer live in a world where your family, your city, your religion that you're born into, whatever your trade that your dad had, or whatever, these things no longer seem to define us. We live in a time when you just invent yourself, and you make it, you know, you just make yourself whatever you're going to be. And that's scary. And that is scary. Um, And I think people are desperate. 
Yeah, I mean, you can look at unbelievers and see some of the ways they're living their lives and you can stand back and you can shake your finger as a Christian and go, well, that's not God's way and that's not a good thing and that's destroying society. People, this is part of the human condition we're looking at. And yes, yes, it's sin. And yes, it can be, it can be just wrong on so many levels. But at the same time, when we see these things, understand there, but for the grace of God, we would go as well because we've adopted the same idea of self. We're just living it out differently. But really, in effect, that's kind of the thesis of his book. Even Christians live with this idea that we can just be anything and everything we want to be. Christian, your identity is Jesus. Your identity is Jesus Christ. That is the foundation. That's the solid rock that you build on in the midst of all of the muck and the mire and the endless possibilities. So know that, take that, understand that, work off of that. Think of that Venn diagram. Just all week long, just, just think of that. You're in this place, you're in Christ. What is that? What ought that look like? And if you're adrift without Christ in this world, I, I feel bad for you. I do. You may, you may think Christians are all judgy and everything. And, you know, we are, we're judgy in the sense we're discerning about what's true and what's not true. And that might not be something you like very much. But I have to say, I feel, I feel bad for you if you are trying to invent yourself. Like Archimedes said, how are you going to move the world? You give, you give a guy a long lever, but if you don't have a place to stand, how, how is that going to work? There's nothing solid. And we just urge you that there's another way. And that is to turn from the way you're going. Turn from all that self-definition. Go in your own way. You know, the ox that doesn't want to turn with the plow. You know, go from that. Go from that rebellion and that sin and turn and put your trust in Jesus Christ and in him alone. And, and not only will he save your soul for eternity, he will save you from hell. He will give you eternal life but also, he will give you a firm sense of who you are. I'm convinced you can't even know yourself, really, without knowing yourself in Christ. And so we offer him to you through the gospel. Come, believe in Jesus Christ, and be saved, and also figure out who you are. Let's pray. Father, we ask today that, uh, that your word would go forth and fall upon receptive hearts and that you would do the work in us that you want to do. Lord, I, I pray that, that each person, and each person is unique, Lord. There's no question that we're, there are no duplicates, but at the same time, Lord, our, the human condition is the same. Our needs are the same. And we need that awareness. As Christians, we need that growing awareness of what it means to be in Christ and uh, Lord, grow that in us. Help us grow, to grow into what is already said to be true of us. We're saints. We're brothers. Help us to live out what that means. And Lord, I pray for the, uh, the person that might not know Jesus today, that, that these words will fall in, uh, yeah, on, on receptive ground because, Lord, I'm convinced that most people living that way are, are living in confusion and desperation. And I pray that this word of hope might fall upon their heart and that they might turn and believe in Jesus Christ and be saved and come to a true sense of themselves. And we ask it in his name. Amen.